Welcome back to the Core EM Podcast, core content for anyone, anywhere, and just in time. This is the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue EM Residency Program. I'm Anand Swami Nathan. And I'm Jenny Beck Esme. So Jenny, what are we going to talk about today? So this week, we had a great lecture on thyroid emergencies from one of our newly minted PGY3 residents, Mark Mickley. We see a lot of patients with hypo and hyperthyroid disorders in the emergency department, but since the really severe presentations of these conditions are pretty rare, we can sometimes really easily forget about them. So I wanted to talk about one of these, severe decompensated hyperthyroidism, better known as thyroid storm. Oh, it's a great topic, and you're absolutely right. We don't see it very often, and I think we can miss it because it slides through with other diseases that it mimics. So severe decompensated hyperthyroidism has a high mortality, and the presenting signs and symptoms, again, can go undetected because they blend in with other things. The key is a good history and physical exam, and of course, you got to think about it if you're going to make the diagnosis. If you're not thinking about it, you're not going to recognize it, and we all know that that's the truth, and this can have devastating consequences if we miss it in our patients. In addition, decompensated hyperthyroidism is often precipitated by any number of other medical conditions. So once you find one problem, you may not have found them all. So just be sure to keep thyroid disorders in the back of your mind. Okay, Swami, what does a patient in thyroid storm look like? So these patients are going to present with fever, tachycardia, and altered mental status. And that altered mental status is really key in the diagnosis. They're often going to have evidence of high output heart failure, so you might hear some crackles or see some beelines on ultrasound, and they may have GI symptoms like nausea, vomiting, and abdominal pain. Well, yikes, that sounds like so many of the patients we see in the ER. Exactly. The presentation of decompensated hyperthyroidism can often mimic other presentations. The differential for a presentation like this is broad and includes sepsis, meningitis, encephalitis, hypoglycemia, hypoxia, your sympathomimetic and anticholinergic toxidromes, and withdrawal symptoms like from alcohol or opiates or sedative hypnotics. Hypertensive encephalopathy can look like this, as can heat stroke. Decompensated hyperthyroidism can look like any of these presentations, and it's crucial to remember that it can also coexist with any of these presentations. Decompensation can occur in a patient who was previously well-controlled because they had developed an infection or had an MI or a trauma. Okay, so now that we've thought of it, how do we go about making the diagnosis? Thyroid storm is a clinical diagnosis, and that's really critical to understand. There are two main diagnostic criteria or point scales that people use for assessing this. Now, the one I typically use is the Birch-Wartofsky scoring system. We'll drop a link to that in the show notes. Basically, you get varying points for the degree of temperature elevation, altered mental status, GI dysfunction, tachycardia, CHF, etc. The nice thing about these scores is they don't rely on any laboratory data. In many places, a TSH and free T3 and T4 take a while to come back, and you really want to initiate treatment early. Additionally, the TSH can be depressed in simple hyperthyroidism, as well as in the life-threatening decompensation, so it doesn't necessarily clinch the diagnosis. Yeah, the values of TSH, T3, total T4, and free T4 are not usually affected during the acute phase of thyroid storm. When we draw these in the ED, these tests are actually probably going to reflect the patient's chronic thyroid state. So, if the value can be the same regardless of the severity of the patient's hyperthyroid, Swami, is it really useful for us to even be getting these in the ED? I think it's useful, but probably more useful to the consultant after admission than it is to us in making the diagnosis and starting treatment. The value may be useful in ruling out the diagnosis because if the TSH is completely normal, it's unlikely that you have thyroid storm, but it's not impossible. The bottom line is that we have to use our clinical exam to make the diagnosis and not rely on the blood tests. 
So the EKG can also be helpful in assessing these patients. The most common finding will be a sinus tachycardia, and it's usually going to be with the rate that's out of proportion to the degree of the fever. The second most common abnormal finding on the EKG would be atrial fibrillation. So how do you use this exactly? You have a patient who comes in and they look septic and has one of these EKG findings. Does that make you start going down the thyroid storm route? So I'm definitely going to consider this diagnosis in any patient who's septic, especially if they've got a prior diagnosis of hyperthyroidism or if they're on thyroid supplementation. In addition to decompensation of their underlying hyperthyroid state, we can see this with excessive exogenous thyroid hormone use. And some people use that for weight loss, so that may be where you're seeing these patients come in. I'm going to use that Birch-Wartofsky scale, and if they score high on that scale, I'm going to consider treatment. I'm even more likely to consider treatment if they don't respond to my usual sepsis management. Okay, so you've decided your patient has thyroid storm. Let's talk about treatment. Start initially with your supportive cares. As always, take care of the EBCs and start fluid resuscitation. These patients have been tachycardic and febrile, so they are likely volume depleted, so you can go ahead and get started with your IV fluids. Then you're going to move on to our three-step treatment plan. The fluids here are really important because, again, all of these patients are going to be volume down. But some people are a little bit sort of wary about giving IV fluids because the patients have signs of heart failure. Remember that this is a high output state. Take a peek with your ultrasound and see how the heart is moving, especially the left ventricle. If the left ventricle is functioning well, they can probably tolerate your fluids. And again, they're probably going to need them if they're hyperthyroid. In a hyperthyroid crisis, we first treat the peripheral effects. Then we prevent further synthesis of thyroid hormones and last prevent the further release of thyroid hormone. Okay, so the first step in our three-step treatment is to treat the peripheral effects. We do this with a beta blocker. Classically, we use propranolol. Again, it can be hard to wade in with a beta blocker in a patient with failure. But if you assess that it's high output, again, you're going to use your ultrasound to help you there. Then controlling the tachycardia is really going to improve their cardiac function. The typical dose here is half to one milligram of propranolol IV over 10 minutes, followed by one to two milligrams over 10 minutes every few hours. Alternatively, it can be given orally or via an NG tube. There, the dose would be 60 to 80 milligrams every four to six hours. You're also going to probably want to treat the patient's fever, which is compounding their tachycardia. Here, you're probably going to want to use acetaminophen as it doesn't increase free T3 and T4 concentrations like aspirin does. I think in general, we're going to be giving the propranolol IV and not PO or via NG2 because these patients need to get the medication on board pretty fast. And in general, when you use your beta blockers, that's also going to help for that temperature to resolve. So you can give acetaminophen. I wouldn't expect it to do very much, um, but the beta blockade is going to help here. Now, if you're worried about giving propranolol in a high output failure state, or if you just don't use propranolol very often, you don't have it stocked in your emergency department, you can use esmolol instead. And it's kind of a nice drug to use because it does go away quickly as well if you get in any trouble. Now, the second step after blocking those peripheral effects is to prevent further synthesis of thyroid hormone. For this, we use thionamides, either PTU or methimazole. Though methimazole is the preferred medication in the outpatient setting because it has fewer adverse side effects, propylthiouracil or PTU is preferred during thyroid storm because in addition to blocking the synthesis of the thyroid hormone, it also blocks peripheral conversion of T4 to T3, T3 being the more active compound. Now, neither of these is available in IV formulation, but they can both be given either orally, via NG tube, or rectally. The dosing here for PTU is 200 milligrams every four hours, and for methimazole, 20 milligrams every four hours. 
I've heard that there also might be a role for corticosteroids here as well. Do you use those, Swami? Absolutely. So corticosteroids also help to block peripheral conversion of T4 to T3. Dexamethasone is the most commonly used because unlike hydrocortisone, it's not going to affect any adrenal testing the emitting team might want to do. But if you want to use hydrocortisone, that's probably fine as well. For dexamethasone, the dose is going to be 2 milligrams IV every 6 hours. Now the last step is to prevent the further release of thyroid hormone. We do this using iodine. Now here the timing is really important. You're going to want to be sure to give the iodine at least one hour after you've given the thionamide. If you give the iodine too early, it actually stimulates the release of thyroid hormone from the thyroid and will make the hyperthyroid worse. So you don't want to do that. Here we're going to use potassium iodide iodine or Lugol solution, which is given as 10 drops orally every 8 hours. The alternative would be saturated solution of potassium iodide or SSKI, which is given as 5 drops orally every 6 hours. If there's one step in here that you're going to sort of not do, it's probably the administration of iodine that usually can be deferred a little bit because of that issue of possibly ramping up synthesis and release. So just make sure that you delay it from the administration of your PT or methimazole. But if it doesn't happen right away, that's going to be okay as well. Now, a couple of other small points I want to add. Don't worry too much about treating the atrial fibrillation that you're often going to see. It's going to go away as you treat the thyroid storm. Of course, the beta blocker is going to help here. Make sure to investigate what set off that decompensated hyperthyroid state. And I'm very liberal about giving broad spectrum antibiotics to these patients since infection is so commonly what sets these off. It can be very difficult to tell whether infection is at play or not. Now, Jenny, just to sort of nail this home, you know what Occam's razor is, right? Occam's razor, one diagnosis makes everything easier. That's what you should go with. Right, so there's got to be one unifying diagnosis. That's what Occam's razor kind of tells us. Now, do you know what Hickam's dictum is? <laughs> I don't know that one. Uh, so Hickam's dictum is the opposite and probably the one that we should be thinking about more often. Hickam's dictum is that the patient can have as many pathologies as they damn well please. <laughs> and this is an, a great example of that because they're not just going to have the thyroid storm. There's going to be something else there. So we have to be very careful about looking at what else could be going on, what set this off. And I know we said that a couple of times during the podcast, but it's so often missed. People get focused on, oh, look, I found the thyroid storm and they're high-fiving. And I'm like, yeah, but you missed the sepsis. You missed the major MI. So make sure you're looking for those things too. Hickam's dictum. Hickam's I like dictum. that. I like it. All right. So that was a whirlwind of a thyroid storm, no pun intended. Uh, why don't you give us some take-home points here? Of course. So first, decompensated hyperthyroidism is a rare, life-threatening condition. It can develop in patients with long-standing, untreated hyperthyroidism, and it's often precipitated by another event, such as an infection, a surgery, or a trauma. Second, patients present with tachycardia, fever, altered mental status, which is crucial, and GI symptoms. Keep thyroid storm in mind if your patient has a history of hyperthyroidism or if things just aren't making sense with your patient. You, they're not responding properly to your sepsis treatments. You, they have a fever, but you can't find the source. They have this new AFib, but you don't really know what's going on. You're going to use a clinical scoring tool like the Birch-Wartofsky scoring system to make the diagnosis. And then last, treatment is threefold. First, treat the peripheral effects with propranolol. Then prevent further synthesis of thyroid hormone with PTU and corticosteroids. And last, prevent the further release of thyroid hormone with iodine. Just be sure to hold off on that iodine for at least one hour after the patient receives the PTU to avoid worsening their hyperthyroid. I couldn't say it better myself. That's all for the Core EM podcast this week. 
Come on over and check out the site at coreym.net. We've got a ton of great core content emergency medicine. We'll have a core post up this Wednesday and a journal update up on Thursday. Visit us on Facebook and like us if you like the site, and follow us on Twitter where our handle is at core underscore em. Thanks, and see you all next week.